Hey everyone, welcome to another Amped interview. Glad you're joining us. Hope you're having a great summer. I can tell you that it's hot enough up here in the Pacific Northwest. Today is July 29th and it's going to be high 90s, so it should be fun. I'm going to be dressing light. It probably goes without saying that this current season in our country, in our world, is pretty challenging. Seems each week is going to bring another tragedy. It's almost like we're just waiting for the the other shoe to drop. It's It's been tough. And I know a lot of people ask why God would allow this suffering or evil to occur. Uh, worse yet, there seems to be some people who believe that God is using these events as an act of judgment to punish those they perceive as sinners. Uh, but then we have our guest, Lucas Miles. Uh, we sat down with him last month, not too long after the shootings in Orlando. And we talked with him about his book, Good God, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace. Lucas is a writer, speaker, life coach, talent manager, church consultant, film producer, and pastor. Well, in Good God, Miles examines culture's popular but probably erroneous perspective of God and our tendency to attribute all occurrences to him, good or bad. We're going to spend some time talking to Miles about his perspective on this and how he demonstrates that it's rooted firmly in the Bible. So listen in to this timely and hopeful interview with our friend Lucas Miles. Frequency.fm presents The Amped Interview. Good day, folks. It's Joe here at Frequency. Our guest today on the interview is Lucas Miles. He's the author of the recently published book, Good God, The One We Want to Believe in But Are Afraid to Embrace, which was released uh, earlier this year, March, I believe, uh, by Worthy Press. Now, he's also a senior pastor at Oasis Church in Granger, Indiana, and the founder of Miles Media, a film production company. So today, um, first of all, welcome, Lucas, to uh, the Frequency Interview. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. You bet. So we're going to definitely talk about the book. I hope you don't mind. I'd, I'd love to touch on some of the film production aspect of what you do. Anything else you want to cover? No, I think that'd be great. Let's just kind of see where it goes. Fantastic. Well, let's just jump right into the book, you know, just from a kind of a high level. Can you just give us a, a quick introduction to what Good God is as a book? Um, so people have some perspective on just thematically what you're addressing. For sure. Um, you know, I, I always tell people uh, God has a PR problem. You know, he has, uh, you know, when thing, when bad things happen in this world, nobody blames Buddha. Nobody blames Mohammed. You know, they blame they blame God. They blame the God of the Bible. And and, uh, you know, so many times um, we see tragedy ascribed to him. And unfortunately, it's not just uh, it's not just, you know, the world that is pointing their fingers. It's got at, a lot of times it's the church. And, you know, we, I think we struggle as believers discerning when bad things happen. If it's God trying to teach us something, is it the enemy trying to attack us? And how do we handle that and make sense of those things? And so I've been exploring this topic for really uh, over a decade now and uh, tried to put together, um, uh, you know, really a, a, uh, a, you know, logical progression through scripture and, you know, using narrative and stories in my life to show people that God is better than we think he is and that we can adhere to a biblical view of God and recognize that God is always good and he's never um, the uh, the cause of, of the pain in our life. Great synopsis of that. Now, I've, I've read the book, and so I know what you're saying is actually accurate. <laughs> it's good that you, <laughs> that you actually wrote your own book and you actually know what it's about. 
you'd be surprised. Um, uh. <laughs> uh, well, so one of the things that, that really grabbed me as I was jumping into the book was the idea, and you discuss this a lot in the book, is the idea of extreme sovereignty. Uh, and I personally found it to be quite challenging, especially as I really uh, engaged with that topic. I wondered if you could just take a moment and explain what you mean by extreme sovereignty and really how it's represented currently in culture. Definitely. You know, I, I, I say in the book, I believe that that the extreme sovereignty doctrine is one of the most um, damaging um, doctrines that exists in the church today. And it essentially would would state that God is responsible for everything that happens. Uh, you know, we have all heard or uh, the, the phrase, God is in control. Maybe we've even said it. We've all seen the bumper stickers, God is in control. But, you know, what, what most people would never even think about is that the Bible never says the phrase, God is in control. In fact, in 1 John uh, chapter five, it actually says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. But, you know, I was, I always joke that that probably didn't go as well on a bumper sticker. Right, so right. we kind of changed it to God is in control. And so, you know, obviously this can, this can have a lot of people go, well, what are you saying? What do you, you know, what does that mean? And, and so, you know, I really try to break that down in the book. I think people will be, um, uh, you know, really blessed by understanding that there's actually, uh, you know, recognizing that God is not responsible for everything that happens in this world is actually empowering to us as believers. It, it, it uh, assures us that God is actually on our side, that we're not fighting against him. And the word sovereignty, you know, if you open up an NIV version of the Bible, which I, I use on a regular basis, I teach out of a lot of times uh, when I preach at churches. And, you know, the NIV, it uses the word sovereignty over 300 times uh, in the translation. Wow, yeah. The interesting thing is, is the King James version of the Bible doesn't use the word sovereign or sovereignty one time. And so it's never, it's never listed. And so what the NIV has done is it's taken the moniker for, um, uh, of God, uh, which is Adonai, uh, or our Lord God. Yeah. And it's changed that to sovereign Lord in virtually every single instance that it appears. And so it's communicating something, you know, a, a religious notion about God that actually is not in the original text of scripture. And, you know, um, it, it, this, it's a, it's a, man, it's a powerful understanding and I'll pause there and give you a chance to, you know, maybe hop in, but uh, I'd love to explore this more. It's interesting that, and I definitely pulled this from the book that, and you describe it very well right there. The idea that we, in our current culture, we have established in, in Christian culture, this paradigm that ascribes to God all control over all things um, it, it seems a bit of a, and I call it, I would call it a no-duh notion that God is good, and yet we tend to um, ascribe to him every negative thing that happens. Um, you even describe it in your book, you know, it, you had your own personal mm -hmm. heartache where, where somebody who was very well-intentioned ascribed your loss to, uh, to God. And we just have a tendency to do that from a knee-jerk perspective. Why, why don't we see that contradiction? I think that as people, you know, it's interesting. I, I think that as people, there is a continual um, desire, need for self-preservation and specifically self-preservation of ego. And so any time that, you know, or any opportunity that we have to ascribe blame uh, or causation of, you know, the source of a problem on somebody else, we're going to take it. And, you know, ultimately we've done that with God. It started in the garden 
And when, you know, Adam and Eve uh, fall, um, you know, Adam responds to God after, you know, God says, hey, where are you guys at? And, you know, and basically, you know, what happened? And he says, well, it was this, it was you, it was this woman that you gave me, you know, and the woman, you know, immediately blames the serpent. I mean, you know, we're looking for somebody else, you know, to blame in this, in this situation. It's the same thing that Job did, which is, is virtually never spoken about, uh, in, in churches or commentaries, but throughout the book of Job, Job ascribed blame to God for his problems. Job said, God, if it wasn't, if it wasn't him, then who could it be who would do these things to me? Job had no awareness of the enemy. And, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's super prevalent in our culture today. We're seeing this in all the conversations about, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, issues today from, from gender to gun control or whatever else. I mean, we're, we are always looking for opportunity to blame something else other than, you know, our choices or our actions. Yeah, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. I think of um, people who choose to take on the mantle of uh, martyrdom or, or victimhood or, you know, that the tendency, as you described, to deflect um, away from ourselves, uh, as opposed to the empowerment that comes from accountability, personal accountability. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there, there is, there's a, you know, I, I think that we, what we're afraid of by, you know, even as I share this in places, you know, I think that people are afraid of condemnation or guilt that might be associated with personal responsibility. And, you know, what I always try to assure people is, is that, you know, God, first of all, God does not want you to feel guilty. He, he actually died on a cross so that your guilt would be taken away. Um, you know, he does, he's not trying to point a finger. He's not trying to cast blame, but until we acknowledge, you know, maybe, and it, and it, it should be, you know, it's pretty important here to say at the start that, when bad things happen in our lives, we're not always the cause of it. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's actions of other people towards us that causes situations. Sometimes it's the result of a fallen world. Sometimes it's, you know, the enemy, uh, you know, coming against us. It, it could be, you know, a million different factors, but it's not God that is the cause of it. And when I'm experiencing, you know, some sort of tragedy in my life or, or, you know, test or trial and those things, I would rather, I would rather blame anything else than God, because I know that it's not his wills or, or intention. You know, my theology is pretty simple. It's John 10, 10. Jesus says the thief has come to, you know, to kill, steal and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And I always say, you know, if it's good, it's God. And if it's not, it's not. And I think that that is a pretty helpful, you know, tool to really help us discern, you know, the, the cause of what's happening in our lives. Yeah, that's an, um, an excellent passage. I actually recently spoke, I guess recently, two years ago with um, Daniel Hill, who's out of Chicago as well, who wrote a, a book uh, specifically on 10, uh, John 10.10. 10. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Daniel Hill there <laughs> while we're touching. <laughs> sure. One of the things that you did really well in the book, and, and you uh, just alluded to it a couple minutes ago, is as you spoke about Job, is as I was reading through, I would think in my head, yeah, but what about this point? And what about this uh, where there are certain um, there seems to be certain evidence in the Bible where God does do things to hurt us, maybe as a way to test us. And you unwind that really well. I think the kidnapping description. Do you mind just explaining that, sharing that with folks? I think first of all, it's kind of humorous. Second of all, it's uh, it's a great illustration. You're talking about uh, when I talk about the hostage situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, you know, uh, and, and there's actually a there was actually a chapter that we pulled from the book where I detail that even a little bit more 
um, that I'm looking at possibly releasing as a, as a free ebook or something else here in the future. Um, but the, you know, as, as we look at understand really the fall of man and what happened there, I think it's important for us to acknowledge that the idea that you might hear traditionally, or maybe, and unfortunately it's taught in a lot of seminaries that, you know, that Satan or Lucifer fell sometime before the creation of the world. And, you know, when you really start looking at what scripture has to say about that, that never appears in the Bible. The place that that actually has been pulled from the most is from John Milton in, you know, Paradise Lost and other type of, uh, you know, um, you know, sort of Christian mythology um, uh, works like that. And, and so, you know, what, what actually I believe that scripture teaches us, and I, you know, I detailed this a little bit in the book, is that, that Satan fell the same time that we did. And he actually used our choice as a, as a shield or deflection for God's wrath towards him. So if Satan would have fell just, you know, prior to the creation of the world, God would have had no reason just to, you know, kind of flick him out of the sky. You know, Satan versus God is not a, that's not even a battle. You know, it's like (laughs) me playing LeBron James in basketball. Like there's, there's zero competition there for LeBron. (laughs) And, and so, you know, but the, the reason, um, the, and, you know, and, and this also comes back to the, the question you'll hear people ask, well, if God's so good, then why did he put Satan in the garden? And I would say he didn't, he put Lucifer in the garden who was his top angel. He was a guardian cherub. We see this from, uh, uh you know, not only Genesis, but also, um, you know, Ezekiel and Isaiah, which, which detail, uh, you know, prophet, using prophetic language, the, the origins of Lucifer. And it talks about how he he was, he was here to protect his people. So he was essentially our, um, uh, you know, our, basically our angelic secret service detail. Right. He was our butler, you know, in the garden. And so through jealousy, through pride, through all of these things, he concocted a plan to go against God. And he did that by actually getting us to, to fall at the exact same time. And when that happened, we became a hostage, you know, because he went to the Lord and essentially says, look, you can destroy me, but because you're just, you would also have to destroy these children of yours because they did the same thing. They, they rebelled against right. you. They went against your word. And so he used us as a shield. And, you know, I, I talk about that as a hostage situation. You know, if you had, uh, I, I spent a lot of time in, you know, in a place like L.A., And, you know, um, I actually have a cousin that works on the, you know, the L.A. police department. And, you know, I I know they have a lot of firepower and, you know, but you can have one bad guy that goes into a bank and takes somebody hostage trying to rob that bank. And you could have all the forces of the LAPD, you know, outside of that bank, you know, basically saying, look, we have you surrounded, you know, put down your weapon, all these sort of things. And I mean, anytime the LAPD wants, they can, they can, you know, uh, um, bust through those doors and they can take this guy down, but they don't in a situation like that because they want to protect the hostage. And so they wait for an opportune time in order to take, you know, a, uh, a strategic and systematic shot in order to, to get that, that hostage, you know, freed. And, God did the same thing, and that strategic shot was Jesus. And so God waited. He 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 basically he you know for lack of a better term he allowed the enemy to to um, have that 
co co lease of the earth with man. The the earth was given to us. The Bible says the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So Satan comes in and we essentially handed that over to him uh, for joint ownership for a time. And he held us hostage. But Jesus actually, that's why Jesus had to come as a man. It's why he couldn't just die a spiritual death in the heavens. You know, if he if he wanted just to just to, you know, kill his spirit and then, you know, be resurrected, he could have done that. But he had to come in the form of a man to be like kind with us to pay the price of justice uh, so that once justice had been issued, and that's why God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. Once justice was issued in Jesus, he was then able to disarm Satan and you know the principalities and make a public spectacle of them, as Colossians says, and, and rise victorious. And so he paid that price for us. He took our place. He became the hostage so that he could basically destroy both hostage and, and the perpetrator you know, in that situation, who is, you know, who is the devil. That's quite an illustration, but it, it definitely gets, it gets to the point. And in some ways, it's timely. If you don't mind, I'm going to pivot a little bit uh, to current events because uh, this is uh, being recorded in June 2016, and it's um, gosh, it's only about ten days since the, the, sh- yeah. the tragic shootings in or- Orlando. So you know, there's a lot of people who are asking, you know, where is God in this situation, and why would He allow this this to happen if He's truly a good God? It's not a unique question, but I'd I'd love to hear your perspective on that. For sure. And, and, you know, honestly, and not to, not to at all make light of, of what happened in Orlando, but it, you know, you have three things in a row that happened in Orlando with, you know, the, the girl that was on the voice who was, who was killed at one of her shows. Um, you know, obviously the, uh, the one that's gotten the most press as far as the, uh, you know, this terrorist attack at the, at the nightclub. And then, um, and then also, you know, you have a couple days later, you have a, a child, you know, um, ripped out of their parents, you know, hands by an alligator and, you know, drowned and taken to its death. I mean, this is, yeah. you know, if, if a city had a reason to go, God, where are you for a three day period, you know, Orlando certainly had that. And, I was actually down in Orlando about a week before all this took place. I had a, I had a book tour, uh, and I was passing through the area. I was, uh, I was going through a lot of South Florida and, um, man, it, it's, you know, first of all, um, it, it, I think it's in, I think we can do a lot of damage by trying to give the right answer at the wrong time. And yeah. If I'm, you know, if there's anybody listening that maybe you're, you have somebody in your life that is going through tragedy, um, you know, the time to give them the theological answer on and, and to prove to them and show them why God's not the source of their pain is probably not, you know, at ground zero. And, and I think that, you know, I think just as from a pastoral heart standpoint, I think that we always have to put love, understanding, listening all of those things above just the desire to be right and, and get the right answer across. And so, um, you know, a lot of, you know, some of the people have gone through these things here recently, especially the people in Orlando, you know, it's going to take some time to process that. And so if people in their lives, I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing conversation to help minister to that. But I think for people in the, in the world that are maybe looking at this situation from the outside or thinking like, man, that could have been my city or that could have been me. You know, I think that that conversation is very ready to be had by people and, and, you know, what I, um, 
uh, th- this comes back to that personal responsibility issue. Yeah. You know, God, God in a situation like that, he had, he really had nothing to do with it. Um, and now I do believe that, you know, um, that it's it's important that we don't go full on to the other extreme of what would be called like extreme open theology, meaning that that God you know doesn't do anything at all. Right. Because I I believe that God is acting on our behalf, but the way He does so is He's speaking to His children. It's through His Word, and God's Word is His primary tool. It is it is the only connection that we have with the spiritual realm is through the Word of God and 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 also through the Holy Spirit. You know speaking to us his words. Uh, for instance, if we back up a little bit in time, um, I had some friends that were um, in New York uh, working um, during the, you know, uh, during September 11th. And uh, one of my, it was actually a, a very close friend of mine. He worked in the building, I think it was a one or two buildings next to the, the World Trade Center. And, and he said that he woke up that morning and was getting ready for work and he just, something just hit him and he thought, you know what? I'm just not going to go into work today. I'm just going to take a sick day. And he didn't know why, but he just really felt like he was supposed to take a sick day. And, you know, I mean, here, if, if he wouldn't have done that, he would have been right in the middle of that, having, you know, this building collapse on top of his building and, you know, be in that, just in that aftermath. And, you know, what I've read in that situation is more people were absent from work on September 11th than, you know, than any other day of the year. Now, where that takes a lot of people is they immediately go, well, see, it's a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think God was trying to protect people and people actually heard him speaking. Yeah. And, you know, as time goes on, you're going to hear people come forward that say, Hey, I was supposed to be at that nightclub that night. And man, I just felt this thing in me that, you know, I just, just had a change of plans or, you know, whatever else it was. And you see God directing people his, it says the sheep know the sound of the master's voice and God, and I believe God is speaking to believer and unbeliever alike. It's harder to do with an unbeliever because it's, it's a voice from, from, um, the outside trying to lead them rather than a leading on the heart through the Holy spirit. But I think that God is, is compassionate. He's trying to prevent problems. He's trying to direct us. He's trying to give us wisdom. He's trying to show us where to go and what to do. And, you know, it, being a believer does not mean that bad things will never happen to you. It doesn't mean you're going to do this perfectly, but I believe that God is constantly broadcasting to us truth, wisdom, and direction. And in this moment, it's important, I think, to put blame where blame is. First of all, you know, one person took this action upon himself to make a decision to go into a nightclub and open fire. He planned it. He strategized it. He thought about it. He meditated on it. And, you know, although that is, you know, the actions of one man and it is the response of, of, you know, really radical Islam that we were seeing all around the world, you know, God had nothing to do with that. You know, beyond that, we have to remember that there's a battle between light and darkness. And, you know, it's interesting, a situation like this, it, 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 it not only took the lives and, and wounded, you know, so many people there, but the, the, the continual aftermath, which, um, you know, takes place in a situation like this is it's pitting all sorts of people against one another and creating a lot of confusion about what's true and about who God is and what's right. And, you know, you have these, you know, um, you know, radical, 
I don't even want to call them churches or Christians, but you have these these people that would claim allegiance to the Bible standing up and saying that, look, this is God's judgment right. or, you know, God hates gays and this is proof of it. And that's that's just that's, you know, that's idiotic. It's it's not a it's not a, uh, a Christian viewpoint. It's not you know, if if God is is going around judging people groups today and and calling judgment upon them then he needs to do that at my house too. Yeah. Because, you know, when you really understand the gospel of grace, you understand that apart from Jesus, I am just as guilty as the worst of the worst. So if Hurricane Katrina was judgment against, you know, New Orleans, then I need to go batten down my windows because there's probably a storm coming to my house. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, if if Jesus is really, you know, if God fully punished sin— in Jesus, as the Bible tells us, then to then go and punish it also on us communicates two things. One, it says that God is unjust because he's already punished the, the act fully in Jesus, and to do it to somebody else is double jeopardy. Right. And we know in our legal system that is not a form of justice. And the second thing is, is it, it, it would communicate that Jesus wasn't enough. And, you know, we have to, we have to, as believers, we have to actually listen to what we're saying and to think about these things. And the fact of the matter is Jesus was enough. He took the price, you know, the, 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 and this is maybe going a little bit deep theologically, but I think that the conversation, you know, uh, 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 warrants it is that, you know, uh, the second judgment is not a judgment against sin. The judgment against sin is actually complete. God is no longer judging sin. Ju- sin was fully judged in Jesus, and he paid the price 100% for sin. You know, he paid it in his body, and he paid it in his spirit in hell for three days, and and rose from the dead victorious. The the second judgment is on whether or not we're in Christ. And so, you know, the, the sin issue that we're all chasing, it becomes a lot of behavior modification, behavior management. I'm interested in getting people connected with the Savior, because when you get them connected with Jesus, some of these behavior issues— Although they might be horizontally destroying our lives, they might be, you know, we can, there's certainly, you know, things that we can call sin. You know, I'm not going to pull punches on that. But that's not the thing that is separating us from God. It's whether or not we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to start there and then allow him to really, you know, help us to become more holy, you know, on accident sometimes than, than on purpose through just fellowshipping, you know, with him and walking with us through that process. So. Yeah, I don't think you went too too deep theologically there for most folks t- to follow. I mean, these are these are topics that I discuss with my pastor on a regular basis. Uh, it's um, it is a in the same way it's a paradigm shift to embrace the whole goodness of God, mm-hmm. um, the holy goodness of God. Um, we also uh, need to um, we need to start to understand more about how because Jesus paid this all. Um, that we we're focused on him as the conduit and not ourselves, mm-hmm. not the Jesus plus mentality, but the right. Jesus period mentality. The we're not identified as sinners, but identified as um, followers of Christ. And through that identification, we will be made whole. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, um, where, where this conversation goes, if I just go on the street and I take a poll, you know, of, of Christians or people, and I say, you know, do you believe that God is always good? 
And, you know, I, I don't know one Christian that's going to answer that. No, you know, that, that, well, no, I think that sometimes he's not good or, you know, everybody's going to say, yeah, God is always good. In fact, we have churches all across America where you, you know, pastor stands up and says, God is good. And the congregation goes all the time. And the pastor goes all the time. And the congregation goes, God's God is good, good. <laughs> you know, and, and, but what, what really we have to break that down and say, okay, well, what are we meaning by that? And that's really the point that I try to bring home in the book because, what you hear tossed around, and I call it in the book Hallmark Theology, it sounds good on a greeting card, yeah. but in real life, it doesn't line up with Scripture, and it's not actually um, accomplishing what we think it is. So, you know, when my wife and I had the miscarriage, we had a woman come to us, and we actually had several, you know, Christians come to us and say this, and, and I'm not upset with them. We love these people. They were, they were dear friends of ours. But what they, what they said to us was, you know why this happened, don't you? And I mean, this is three days after our loss. Right. Uh, you know, God needed another angel in heaven. And again, like I can picture the Hallmark card with the little angel and, you know, that sort of thing and thinking of you. And, and, but, you know, that's, that's what we're really saying at that moment is that God took your child. Right. And so is he good? And now there's some people that believe that, yes, God did do that. I mean, uh, I think it was Lady Annabellum. She just came out with a uh, a song here recently and and did an interview and, and mentioned um, that God, you know, was basically at, at fault for her miscarriage. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people have this worldview and it's, it, it's, it's, um, man, it's, it's saddening to me because not only are they carrying around the weight of God did this, but they're also missing out on the opportunity to really fellowship with the one who can comfort them because it's hard to be comforted by the one that you think is the cause of your problems. And, and so, you know, and you'll hear phraseology ripped out of scripture, out of context, like his ways are higher than our ways. Uh, our, our church um, that I pastor at Oasis, we, uh, um, during our kind of planting phase, we used to meet in a, um, it was a funeral chapel. And uh, it sounds kind of creepy, but it's a, it was a beautiful property and they had a great, you know, chapel there. And so we would rent out this chapel space on Sunday mornings and it's pretty central in our area. And, you know, I, whenever they had people that um, didn't have a pastor, um, they would call me and say, hey, we have, you know, a funeral. Would you mind doing it? And I probably did 50 funerals during this, you know, two year period that we rented out this space uh, for virtually everybody, you know, all these people that I'd never met before. And so I would see people stand up at these funerals. And, you know, a lot of times it was the Christians that would stand up and they would say, hey, you know, God's ways are higher, higher than our ways. Sometimes we can't understand. You know, he's got, you know, his, he, you know, he works in mysterious ways, you know, and these sort of things. And, and all of that's ripped out of context. When, it, when the Bible talks about in Isaiah, um, you know, 55, and it says that his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. If you, you know, if you go through that passage in context and detail, what it's referring to is it says that, you know, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Yeah. And it says that he gives freely. It talks about how he freely forgives even the wicked man when he repents and comes to him. And it says that we would charge, but that God gives freely. And then it says, for his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And, and so in that, what we see Isaiah is telling us is that the way of God that is different than our way is his love. That passage is not about, you know, children being killed in car accidents. It's not about trying to explain divine 
purposes behind a terrorist shooting. That is nowhere in, then that should be nowhere in the biblical conversation of God's actions. And unfortunately, we have pastors standing in the pulpit that are saying things uh, as one, you know, one gentleman did about cancer, that it's not enough to just say that God allows it, but that we have to understand that he's systematically designing and placing every cancer cell. And that's ludicrous. And it's contrary to the nature of God. And that is, I mean, uh, I mean, we, we have to recognize that, get back to a biblical understanding. And I think if we start preaching God's goodness, and doesn't mean that we have to go soft on sin. It doesn't mean we have to, you know, uh, become soft on, on scripture by any means. But if we just preach the cross, we preach the goodness of God that he came and he paid the price and we can find refuge in him through giving our life to Jesus. That is the message that drew great sinners unto Jesus and and just, you know, throngs of people. But today, because the message the church is preaching, people are running from the church by the droves. And we have to recognize that Jesus hasn't changed, but our presentation of his gospel is what has changed. You know, that's still... It's still very challenging to me. It all it completely makes sense as you describe it. But if I really allow myself to embrace what you're saying, to really engage with what you're saying, I I am convicted of where I will accept a platitude in the place of a relationship um, mm. or a true understanding of the way that God works. So, and it, I, I found I was challenged over and over again as I uh, read through the book. But at the same time, you're using the uh, you're you're going into the word. You're explaining, you know, here's here's the original meaning of the word, and here's how we use the term. We've bastardized that uh, in our current culture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, it's what you're describing. There is a challenging, and for for some people, um, it might even feel like a controversial controversial thinking in terms of the, uh, God's goodness because the, our current Christian culture uh, is really, in many ways, formed on those platitudes, <laughs> right? And yes, um, absolutely. But so I want to encourage folks. It's a it's a fantastic read, a challenging read in terms of challenging your own perspective on your faith uh, and your perspective on God and His goodness. But it's so it's well worth picking up, and it uh, it would be great for a small group to get together uh, and form some discussion around the topic. And I don't say that about a lot of books. I, I want to throw that out there. But to me, it's um, it's an important enough discussion, especially in this highly politicized world and uh, the deflection uh, culture that we have. I, I would encourage you pick up the book, have those conversations. And so I want to affirm you, Lucas, for the for the book and for what you're presenting there, because it is in many ways countercultural and yet very accurate from a biblical standpoint. I, I really appreciate that. And just, you know, maybe a couple thoughts along those lines. One, if anybody is interested in using it for a small group, we actually have a free small group curriculum uh, that we make available. If they write, email, tweet us, you know, whatever that is, we can get that over to them. So they have some more materials to uh, take the that group through. And, you know, I think also, I, I think just in, in having this conversation, it's important just to mention that I think one of the reasons why um, you know, we struggle so much with the idea of a um, uh, this, you know, this maybe uh, good all the time uh, concept about God is because there is so much identity that is formed through suffering. And um, 
you know, I, I was ministering to somebody uh, one time, and I talk about this in the book, that was um, it was dealing with some some uh, you know some physical issues. They had a, a disease of their kidneys, and as I was talking with them and and kind of counseling them through this. Um, you know, I kept talking to them about just, you know, we want to see you get break free from this and, and talking to them about God's healing. And, and the thing that they were struggling with is they, they had a belief that if they wouldn't have had this disease, they probably wouldn't have come to Christ right? because they were living this party lifestyle and they were kind of doing whatever. And when they got the disease is what actually, you know, caused them in their minds to come to Christ. And what we're actually doing at that moment is we're ascribing the teacher in our life to suffering or tragedy or disease instead of God. Because, you know, the question is, was God trying to reach that person prior to them having this disease? And the answer is yes. Was God calling them, speaking to them, leading them? Absolutely. Now, they started listening when a physical ailment happened in their life, but that doesn't mean that God caused it or sent it. I believe he was broadcasting the entire time. You know, God is like one of those, he's like an old, you know, TV station with the, which the, the little turn dial on it, which none of our millennials listening will, right. will maybe remember, but you know, everybody else remembers having to get up off the couch and going to turn that knob on the television. And what? you know, God's constantly, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, God's constantly broadcasting to us. But we actually have to dial that in and hear him. And sometimes the only time that we get off, you know, kind of our spiritual couch, if you will, is when tragedy hits, because then we need something. And so then that's actually when we hear him and we mistakenly think that it was the tragedy that drew us to God rather than just the act of actually listening. And and I think it's important that we remove God from the suffering equation. Bad things happen. Life happens. God's not giving you a test to give you a testimony. Tests happen, and God will be there through that, and he can lead you through so you'll have a testimony on the other side of it. But he's not the cause of it. And uh, so I, I just think that's important. I, I appreciate you know the opportunity to talk about the book you know here for sure. Now, we're running short on time. I know you have limited time. I have limited time. I was hoping that we could spend some time talking about Miles Media and some of the film production work that you've done. Maybe you can tell us a quick little bit about what's on the horizon uh, related to that. And I'd really love to bring you back on uh, maybe um, when it's uh, more opportune in terms of the work that you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, um, so we have a, a feature film production company called Miles Media. We focus on uh, doing um, family-friendly, faith-based um, films. Uh, we explore outside of that genre uh, every now and then, but that's kind of our focus. Um, we released a film back in January called Rodeo Girl with Kevin Sorbo, uh, and that was in partnership with uh, um, a guy named Joel Reisig, another producer. And uh, so that hit market. And that's just a family friendly story about a girl and a horse and reconnecting with her dad, um, uh, who's played by Kevin. And uh, we have another film coming up called Crowning Jewels uh, that is about two twin sisters uh, on a road trip to uh, to Boston and just kind of reconnecting along the way. It's sort of a teenage adventure comedy with a with a heart and um uh, that's going to release. Uh, we don't have a set date for it yet, but it's going to be late fall, early winter is what we're anticipating. And just a really cute film. And that's, you know, Walmart, Netflix, Redbox, those kind of uh, uh, platforms is, is typically where we target. 
we have a couple faith-based projects that we're working on. I have a documentary that is a uh, biblical um, history documentary that's that's in the works, and then we actually have a um, a biblical fiction film called The Penitent Thief uh, that we're anticipating filming down in Arkansas. Uh, that's based on a uh, a book, but it's really a backstory, a fictional backstory to the two thieves on the cross. Oh wow! And uh, what brought them there uh, on that fateful day? And so, uh, pretty interesting uh, film written by a guy named Don Willis, who's uh, on board as an executive producer with us. And uh, so it, it's been super exciting, but yeah, I'd love to come back and, and chat more about those things. Yeah. Well, you said what, late, late fall, early winter timeframe. Yes. Yep. Um, so let's uh, keep us, keep us uh, apprised of um, the release date and let's get you back on and um, we'll talk more about that film and uh, share that with folks so that it stays on their radar. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, as we're wrapping up, uh, where can listeners go to learn more about your book, Good God, and and some of the other work that you've discussed. For sure. So um, lucasmiles.org is uh, my blog. They can find teaching articles, uh, store products, resources, uh, ways to contact me, tour dates of where I'm speaking and those things. Uh, that's all on there. If they want to check out more about our church network, they can go to oasnet.org. Um, um, and then they there they can find maybe churches near them, uh, a little bit more about our process. If there's anybody listening that might be interested in being, you know, a church planter or those things with us, there's opportunities for that. Um, we have an app uh, in the App Store under the Oasis Network for Churches, uh, and it's got on it our, our free podcast. Uh, you can do live stream of our services, a lot of different resources there as well. So tons of opportunities. And if it's maybe somebody on the film side or an artist, we do a lot of coaching and consulting for, uh, for Christian talent, um, both in, in music and film. And uh, they can go to milesmediafilms.com, find out more about that. They can hit us on Twitter, at uh, Lucas Miles, et cetera. Uh, we're pretty accessible and uh, would love to connect with people. Excellent. Folks, we'll, uh, we'll make sure those links are available for you in the show notes. So make sure that if you're not driving in your car, you take a moment to get over to the website and check those out. And uh, definitely encourage you, pick up the book, get the free resources that Miles discussed in terms of uh, the small group study um, and uh, learn more about what he's doing. Definitely going to bring Lucas back to talk about the movies that are coming out later this year. So thank you, sir. Really appreciate your time. Joe, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Frequency.fm is a podcast featuring Christian artists, authors, creatives, and experts. For more music reviews, book reviews, and articles, please visit us at Frequency.fm.